to Podiatry Today podcast. I'm Dr. Jennifer Spector, the Associate Editor for Podiatry Today, and we're thrilled to continue to bring you the latest conversations in foot and ankle medicine and surgery, featuring thought leaders in the field. Today is our third and final installment of our podcast on total ankle arthroplasty, featuring Jeffrey McAllister, DPM, and Jason Miller, DPM. Dr. McAllister is a fellowship-trained foot and ankle surgeon and the founder of the Phoenix Foot and Ankle Institute. Dr. Miller is the director of the Pennsylvania Intensive Lower Extremity Fellowship at Premier Orthopedics in Malvern, Pennsylvania, and both doctors are fellows of the American College of Foot and Ankle Surgeons. In today's episode, we'll hear about their experiences with negative pressure wound therapy and total ankle arthroplasty, adjunct procedures that could take place with a TAR, rehabilitation, post-operative considerations, and plans for long-term follow-up. Well, I, I was just going to ask you, Jeff, uh, do, are you using any negative pressure therapy or back therapy on your incisions? Yeah, so a couple of like, intra-op things that I, I forgot to mention was that I have been using a, um, it's called Axioform. It's kind of a, a newer negative pressure wound therapy system that the VAC basically provides uh, 14 days of uh, negative pressure and keeps that incision it has a little silver lining in it and gets that incision to heal perfectly because as we know those angiosomes the choke vessels are the anterior ankle is not friendly and as we've seen you and I have seen that like central aspect right where that anterior tibial artery uh, branches off the the malleolar artery uh, that's centrally, right where the crease is to the ankle. That's where the wound develops. So that's the first thing that you never want to happen in your in your first total ankle is a wound. So I try to use that uh, as much as I can. Uh, it's It's got a longer battery than a, the uh, KCI. So I see people at 10 days. So I don't have to try to, you know, change my office post-op protocol for a total ankle. Everybody's pretty much seen, whether you're a bunion or a, a total ankle um, at 10, 10 to 12 days based on weekends. And then I, I have been using TXA or transescamic acid. It's an old antifibrinolytic that is used um, to help prevent a lot of bleeding intra-op. So I'll use 10 milligrams per kilogram, uh, one dose kind of pre, and then one dose right before uh, tourniquet goes down. Obviously, contraindications are um, blood clotting things and disorders, but that has helped kind of mitigate some, some swelling, arthrofibrosis. And I, I've been using more drains. Uh, maybe it's just kind of a, a phase or something, but I talked to uh, Hinterman a lot. I've tried a couple H2s, H3s, and, you know, Europe is very drain friendly. And I think that I've, I've seen better motion with them and less uh, hemarthrosis with the, uh, with the drains as well. So that's something I've, I've been toying with recently. Yeah, I, I've sort of shied away from the drain concept just because I was always concerned about an outside-in infection, you know, sort of tracking sure. the drain. But I, I agree with you. I'm a, I'm a huge believer. Um, seen a lot less uh, anterior incision uh, infarcts utilizing uh, negative pressure therapy or some sort of VAC technology. Um, in fact, I, I really haven't had, uh, you know, knock on wood, a a major wound issue in, in years since, uh, you know, using uh, that type of technology. So I, I do agree with you. And I, I do think meticulous dissection and, and judicious use mm -hmm. of the OV is, is a great idea um, to, to really, like you said, prevent that hemarthrosis and, and that sort of clotting that, 
uh, you know, creates a, a barrier to motion uh, intracapsularly and, and, and in that region. So, how often are you doing a TAL versus a gastroc, and do you do it before or after your total ankle? So, I will almost always now Most commonly. wait. Uh, yeah, I will almost always now wait until the ankle is in. Um, I'll probably not do it with a final poly. I will do it with a trial poly because I don't want to exert that type of pressure on it. If I'm if I'm doing a, a percutaneous TAL um, or combined Aquinas, then you know I like to keep that poly in. If it's a little less you know violent, like a, a an endoscopic gastroc or something like that, then it, it doesn't really matter. If if I'm final and closed up, I, I'm okay you know with with that because you don't really need to uh, to put the force on that you do with a percutaneous type frontal plane TAL. Um, yeah. One of the methods I utilize, I know a lot of guys use a three incision. I use a two, a two incision, a frontal plane approach, um, which a lot of people are really scared of because it's a, sounds like a, a whole stalk of celery breaking when you, when you get that thing to slide. But yeah. um, it, it definitely, I, I like doing it after I have everything in. So this way yeah. I know where my joint ends up. I know, you know, if it's the difference between a six, eight, 10, 12 millimeter, you know, poly, um, I want to have the pilot in there that I want or think is best for the patient. And in the cases of doing a CT guided system, you kind of have an idea of, of probably what you're going to use ahead of time, which is nice. And if you find that you're not able to get those polys in, then either your bone resection wasn't sufficient and you need to overcut, um, which virtually every system now has two millimeter overcut guides uh, to, to allow for perfect uh, overcuts, or you need to, to go in and, and really consider Consider that equinogenic component as the, the reason why you're struggling to get uh, the poly size that you think the patient needs. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think that doing it beforehand in, in my hands has messed me up more than not. And by that, I mean, um, especially for a jigged instrumentation like a in bone, I have inadvertently or even stars. Uh, I, have, I have inadvertently dorsiflexed them too, too far. Uh, trying to get uh, a perfect 90 and, and it has fooled me a couple times um, because I'm obviously able to dorsiflex them with less resistance. So I think doing it um, afterwards and honestly there's there's downsides to a strong gastroc as well especially if you're wanting to get these people in a shoe at six weeks um, for the purposes of strength and getting back to their tennis and golf or whatever they do. Uh, gastroc definitely slows them down. Um, so if it's a straightforward total ankle and they have a uh, normal range of motion and it's not overly tight or uh, some kind of pseudo Aquinas kind of thing. I, I, I leave it alone. Um, I mean, we can always come back and do a, a TAL later, but I, I, uh, or a gastroc later, I mean, but <clears throat> I try to shy away from gastrocs. Um, if anything, maybe even a Bowman, but um, yeah, I'm on the same page there particularly for, you know, docs that may be sending their ankle patients out. Um, you know, it, it's, it, if you're also getting patients that come from outside the area to you for referral, then you should have a, a very, you know, strong and robust uh, rehab protocol written up that can be sent with the patient when the patient is yes. sent to, you know, a, a therapy center that might be three, four, five, six hours away from where you've done the surgery so that you know that they're getting the appropriate rehabilitation in the time frame that you want. And I think early on in the process with me, um, that was a, a weak spot where, you know, I was receiving lots of phone calls from therapists and where they didn't know 
they've never seen, they didn't even know an ankle placement resist, um, existed, let alone ever treated one. And were so scared of, of what to do that they were literally calling me every week, every time there was a milestone. It was kind of like getting a call from your wife every time the baby did something new, like, oh, it, it said dada today, or oh, it walked today. I was getting those phone calls from, you know, therapists, you know, with, because they were just shocked at what was happening. So I made a, a two to three page rehabilitation protocol that I send with my patients that end up, you know, only, I only see them sometimes three times, you know, after the joint. And this way I, I feel comfortable knowing that they, they're getting the appropriate physical therapy. And, um, you know, so that, that might be, you know, one thing that sort of resides outside of, the direct perioperative period that I think is kind of important and salient to uh, any surgeon who's, who's doing these on a referral basis. Yes. Um, agreed. Uh, there's a textbook. I, I forget the full name. I think it's called total ankle arthroplasty and update or whatnot, but um, Chris Heyer and I wrote uh, and Greg Burlett and a couple other guys wrote a chapter on total ankle rehab that I give, I give to my patients. And of course it looks good because my name's on the, the author list, but um it, uh, yeah, it takes them through even like the home exercise program and what to expect. And I agree with you having that, that team approach, having the team mentality, whether from you to surgery scheduler, obviously, but scrub tech, radiologist, et cetera. And then to the finish it off, complete the circle with the physical therapist is, is definitely key. Um, I think it can be almost a whole nother podcast to be honest with you. But, um, uh, like you said, you, you see them about, uh, three, three times or so, which means you probably see them at your kind of first post-op probably six weeks out. And then maybe three months after that, what, um, your totals, I assume uh, on a yearly basis for surveillance and then, um, for, for the painful total length, are you seeing them kind of on a routine basis and kind of explain that a little bit? You mean, you mean for like a, somebody who's surveillance that pain? I know. I just kind of like you patients that have had a total ankle and they are following up with a community member outside of Malvern should probably have surveillance radiographs after about a year. And uh, if they suspect something is wrong or if it's painful, then they should obviously, you know, see, see primary surgeon or see someone and not um, put their head in the sand. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I, I usually try to get them to come back for that one year visit, um, you know, yeah. to, to do it myself because, you know, one, I, I trust the techniques that we use to take the x-rays and, and two, um, this way I sort of get eyes on and can ask them questions about their activity level and find out if they're, you know, carrying their bag 18 holes when I've told them not to and, and do, do the things uh, that we need to do as a prudent surgeon to make sure our patients are are treating our, our artwork, you know, with respect. So. Right. Yeah, I agreed. Thanks, Dr. Miller. I appreciate it. And all that you do, I want to thank all the listeners for listening to an update on uh, getting into total ankle arthroplasty, some tips, some pearls, some post-op uh, kind of techniques and things to follow up on and read up on. And hopefully this will allow you to become a little bit more interested. And um, for the young listeners, there's plenty to read. And if you have any questions, contact uh, me or Dr. Miller at any point in time. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. And that concludes our three-part series on total ankle arthroplasty with Podiatry Today podcasts. Be sure to check out the other episodes with Dr. McAllister and Dr. Miller, along with several other key opinion leaders on varying topics in the field of podiatric medicine and surgery. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.